Hey there, and welcome to Beer Branding Trends, conversations on building stronger craft beverage brands. Kodo Design has spent more than a decade working with craft food and beverage artisans, helping them to brand or rebrand, reposition, and reimagine what a compelling F&B brand can be. This show captures all of our fieldwork and experience into practical strategies, tips, and tactics to help you build a stronger brand and sell more beer. I'm Isaac Arthur. And I'm Cody Fagg. And this is the Beer Branding Trends Podcast. Hey, Cody, what's up? Not a whole lot, Isaac. How are you doing this morning? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. And I want to start this conversation off with a question. Do you think it's fair to say that craft beer has been a somewhat homogenous audience or has had a homogenous audience for the last 10 years? At a glance, sure. I mean, if you dig deeper than that, I'm sure you'll find a lot of exceptions, but painting with a broad brush, sure. Would you say that with that broad brush, a typical audience would be a, historically, 25-ish to 45-plus-year-old dude, probably going to be white, probably going to have some schooling, maybe a college degree, because he's spending $7 on a pint of IPA on a Tuesday, probably lives in an urban or suburban area. Is that, do you think that's safe? Historically, again, generalizing, yes. In the past, or at least over the last decade, you and I have always asked about audience, audience definition through our branding process, but we've kind of found breweries just shake this off. They say we don't really need to focus on it. And that's really interesting because when we work with maybe say a client that's bringing specifically an RTD to market, not a brewery, but an RTD company, a distillery that's doing that, or a seltzer brand from the ground up, they tend to focus a kombucha these groups tend to focus way more on defining their audience and the occasion and the flavor profile and stuff like that, that this is all intended to hit. And and that's really interesting with breweries. We've just heard, and you could probably speak to it more than me because you're on the ground with these folks more than I am these days, but there's this sense of, no, there's just an audience that's going to drink our beer. We'll put, we'll, we'll make what we make and who drinks it, drinks it. And that's actually kind of worked fine, interestingly. So maybe they know more than we do on this. But but I think that that's an interesting thing because craft beer itself was this phenomenon that tipped alongside many other major ships, specifically starting you know 2010-ish, the, the beginning of the boom to today. So there's the local movement. There was being against big box mass domestic products, everyone becoming more health conscious, environmental and sustainability issues, social media itself. It's been around much longer than just starting in 2010, but it kind of came into its own over this period as a marketing tool. And- to your point earlier, of course, this is changing, changing much more drastically now as the, the industry kind of has this this conversation about, hey, are we actually being as inclusive as we need to be and in inviting people into our brewery to, to drink our beer? And so anecdotally, yes, I think that painting with that broad brush, that is what a craft beer audience was, but it's changing today very drastically. So as the industry continues to shift, as breweries are releasing more non-beer products, as flavor profiles and consumer preferences shift over time, we are seeing, interestingly, uh, breweries getting more strategic and starting to talk about audiences like they haven't in the last 10 years. So we're having conversations where people are targeting niche audiences with an occasion-based thing or a specific flavor profile thing. Gen Z, which we haven't really even talked about yet on this podcast, is is becoming viable legal audience to drink your products. All of this brings back the idea of, of carefully defining your, your customer and, and how important that is. So that's a very rambly introduction, but that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about defining your audience for your brewery. So let's discuss 
why just kind of our, our pat phrase that we've used for the last decade or so, everyone can't be your audience. I think most people have heard this. I don't think a lot of people really think that deeply about it. Cody, let's start there. Can everyone be your audience? We've touched on this in our discussions when we've sort of framed out how we think about positioning for a craft brewery. But the short answer is no. I think early in the craft beer boom days, you could get by saying, we make quality beer for people who can afford a $7 IPA. <laughs> and and they kind of left they, the definition of an audience kind of started and ended it there. And then, of course, we know that usually meant 35 to 55 white male, possibly a beard, possibly, you know, thick frame glasses, whatever. A swallow tattoo. <laughs> as, as market share kind of gets soaked up by all the options that are out there, as the market has matured, um, as more people have become more aware of the different types of craft beer that exist, I do not believe this is sufficient anymore. A lot of women drink beer. A lot of people of all different ethnicities, nationalities, races, creeds, whatever, love beer. You may even be seeing a very basic demographic change in your community locally. We've seen that with clients on the ground um, many times where a huge software company or biotech company is moving in. And so there's thousands and thousands of new potential customers coming in as a result of that industry or that employer. How do we think about that? So I don't believe that's a sufficient way to think about things anymore. And I would urge anyone listening to this to define their audience more narrowly than we make quality beer for people who love quality beer. Let's talk about audience segmentation for a moment. Uh, this is a kind of one-on-one marketing concept, but we don't see it too often in craft beer. It is more of a, a CPG, big conglomerate, big beer concept. So like with marketing or audience segmentation, rather, it, it's like a scenario of like how would Procter & Gamble segment their audience into super granular groups and target those folks with a specific shampoo. So if you want a healthy shine for your hair, you're going to buy this brand. If you want to strengthen your hair, your your roots, I don't know much about shampoo, I, whatever it is, buy that brand. We haven't done too much segmentation work in craft beer. Uh, we've done it here and there, but I feel like that, that might change over the next couple of years, especially as you're talking about with the demographics changing. Cody, can you give me a, a bigger rundown on audience segmentation? Yeah, absolutely. You already gave a pretty good overview but when we're thinking about segmentation, we're looking at the mass pie chart of everyone who buys your beer and trying to break it up into as clear categories as we possibly can. So you're identifying these different groups of folks, you know, a, a way to kind of think about this. You might have a group of early adopter beer geeks who are really interested in your limited releases and kind of your more weird experimental stuff. You might have health conscious young professionals who might be more interested in a low carb offering or a seltzer or a, I don't know a CBD injection into their eyeballs or whatever. <laughs> Empty nesters who love your amber ale from 28 years ago. And if you get rid of it, <laughs> they'll raise hell, but nobody else is drinking it, but you just keep it on tap just to keep the guy that comes into the bar. It's one guy. It's a 68 year old man who wants that amber ale and you can't get rid of it or he's going to pitch a fit. You can replace it with an ESB. That, that is the only scenario where he will not raise cane. Do not raise cane. <laughs> Do not replace any of your beers with an ESB, Isaac and I will come and we will burn your brewery to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Uh, make a mess of your pots and pans. <laughs> Folks who travel the world who have been exposed to the wonder of a properly made German lager or an unfiltered Abbey ale. 
maybe you have something for them, kind of a more authentic traditional style that that they can connect with. We see this a lot with folks who work on military bases and get exposed to everything from rice loggers to, you know, a Dunkelweiss or whatever it is. Value shoppers, again, the type of people who would buy half a gallon of MG 2020 for $3. Maybe you want to have something for them. I don't know, a malt liquor? Who knows? All kinds of people, annoying foodies, everyone. So you can imagine all the different types of segments of audiences you could have. Then you try to define those out and you can get as granular as you would like to get with kind of basic stats like demographics, you know, age, education, profession, income, et cetera, et cetera. Or my favorite Metal Gear Solid character, psychographics, um, (laughs) where you're getting more into (laughs) lifestyle. To give you an example, someone who is a basket weaver as a hobby might have very different values than someone who's like a metalhead who goes to heavy metal shows, or you might have a metalhead basket weaver. Those are psychographics, which has more to have more to do with values, why people make certain decisions based around their lifestyle, what's important to them. Cody, was that a psychomantis reference? It was a psychomantis reference for all of my Hideo Kojima fans out there. Damn, I'm going to unplug my mic and plug it into the other USB port to defeat you in this conversation. Four people will understand what we're talking about. It's a very, very deep cut. <laughs> we do this ultimately in order to identify who are the people to go after? Where does it make the most sense to put our chips? Who should we target our marketing for? What should our portfolio be built out like? Ultimately, the goal here is to sell more beer and maximize the amount of money you can make with your brew system and, and kind of your marketing interface. Why do you think we haven't really discussed this well, we actually have discussed it. This kind of goes back to the the point that I opened the conversation with. Why do you think we haven't really seen a focus on this idea in craft beer over the last decade? I, I think there are a couple of reasons. The first one is kind of what we t- talked about earlier. I, I just don't think when craft beer was really taking off, we're talking about the period between 2010 and, and uh, I don't know, now, however many years w- within there, you just didn't have to because <laughs> there was such an insane demand for something other than the macro loggers that you could just go into the market kind of blind and find your people and it would work out. Yeah. Tap rooms replaced bars. That's another thing that we haven't really talked about. They became the de facto place where you go to drink in your community. Yeah. And and I don't want to get too off topic here, but it's clear to see why. I mean, yeah, you get to go hang out in the place where they make like the drink that your community is known for, like in a broader context. And it it just clicks. I I think a lot of people, just glommed onto that like pretty much immediately as soon as they got what was happening there. Dude, I real real quickly, let's let's get off topic. I was picking some food up for the family a couple weeks ago and I got there too early. So I dipped into a bar next door and had a beer, a, a bar bar, an actual like shitty bar. And there it was like Tuesday afternoon and there was a guy walking around trying to fight people. And you know, so whatever, I, I didn't I just obviously drank my drink and left, but that's what bars are. And and that was so sexy and wonderful when I was 22. <laughs> right. And I just, I, it made me realize like why tap rooms have, I mean, I, I know that there's a, a major conversation in the industry about this, this very topic, tap rooms kind of stealing shares, stealing business from bars. But like I've very rarely seen, obviously there's a lot of uh, bad stuff that does happen anywhere alcohol serve, but I, I just, you don't really see people walking around trying to pick fist fights with random people at breweries. I think there's a different clientele that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Maybe it does. I don't know. I, I disagree. I think it has a ton to do with what we're talking about. I, I think if you live in an area with a lot of young families, 
making sure that there's no one, you know, prowling around your tap room trying to start a, a five alarm brawl. Yeah. Becomes pretty important because like, what if I need to take my toddler here while I'm, you know, answering email and and, and pounding my ESB? <laughs> I'm going to shotgun an ESB. I'm going to let my toddler run over there and destroy property. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Correct. Well, so, I mean, we've seen it with a lot of our clients. Like, hey, you know, is the, is the patio pet friendly? Is, is the tap room family friendly? Is there some non-alcoholic stuff? So... You know, my grandma doesn't feel like an idiot sitting in here not wanting to drink an ESB. So, I, I mean, like, I think those considerations come into play when you're defining your audience because, again, you're, you're deciding what amenities to have and what kind of vibe you want to have. You had a question about segmentation and why we haven't encountered it too much. And mm-hmm. so back to that conversation, I, you know, the first thing is I just don't think people had to do it. You know, it was boom time. Didn't matter. Now people need to because there's so many people in the game that, the more granular you can get, the more strategic you can be. It's an advantage. I think the other big reason, and this might be in the weeds a little bit, but it, I think it's largely an issue of scale as well. I think that the big corporate conglomerates, if I can go out on that branch, are more likely to think about things this way, again, because they have to. So a startup brewery that we're working with in 2013 or whatever is not a Boston beer. Boston beer has... Sam Adams, but they also have Twisted Tea and Angry Orchard Cider and Truly Seltzer and, you know, five other things that I don't even know about. If you don't have a true portfolio of brands the way that Boston Beer does, a house of brands, brand architecture, we might say, then you're just creating stuff for the same audience. You're not really thinking about segmentation. You're not really thinking about all the different opportunities there are if you kind of dip your toes into those other markets. It's been supported and reinforced back to the, the taproom conversation. I mean, that's really driven that too. I mean, I guess the the idea of a bar fist fight aside, that does kind of work into this conversation. It, it The taproom model has just driven all, I mean, almost all of the growth in the industry that every, out of 9,500 or however many breweries there are right now, I mean, the vast majority of them are servicing their local community. They're making far less than a thousand barrels a year. I think it is. I think it's, I think I forget the average number. I should, I'm not going to say something and get it wrong on the the record here, but it's they're They're basically just being like local watering holes and that's cool. So they, to your point, they haven't had to really focus on will this ESB, where will we, who will we target with this ESB, which is no one. Kind of another interesting example a lot of the hard seltzer extensions we've seen over the last few years have been made for what we call hard seltzer drinkers. So whatever that can mean, it means a lot of different things depending on who you are. But I think the way that crap breweries have thought about that is a lot of times these are just the people that would have been buying beer anyway. So a lot of breweries might have thought about that as like, well, this is just another option for our current base of customers. But I would even argue like a move into something like a seltzer could potentially open up a new segment of people who are either, you know, watching carbs or who just don't like hops, don't like beer for whatever reason. So, you know, you could think about it like, oh, we're just making another thing for our same brewery customers to try out and go, oh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Or you could intentionally market it and segment it and say, no, we like we want bike riders and rollerbladers to come in here and, and drink this stuff and rollerblade around and, and like go on sexy seltzer dates. Um, <laughs> that's how I met my wife. <laughs> that's how you and I met actually. It is. <laughs> so, you know, like in, in, in that case, you could really drill it down, give it a name that, that speaks to rollerblading and, and being a, a 
on-the-go young urban professional. <laughs> the idea of like really place hop off that Peloton and strap on those blades, do some parkour <laughs> off the cement barrier or whatever. <laughs> so, so in that case, like you are really segmenting out a product to the to the point where you might even make, be making like a line extension or a sub brand or a, a spinoff brand. So. That's how you can use it to think about, you know, how it affects your product mix and even how you treat, like, how those things look and how they're marketed and what kind of language you use to describe them. We're starting to see this come up in our brand strategy work more and more as breweries pivot from beer to any of the million other things a a beverage company can get into. And generally, we're doing this through the lens of positioning and brand architecture itself. You know, how does this affect the overall picture of the portfolio, et cetera? Yeah, that's right. It's been interesting to see... Very, I mean, 20 plus year old breweries really wanting to focus on how to define their audience or audiences across their different lines. It's really interesting. It happens a lot through rebrands we've seen, though, again, to our earlier point, we're starting to see breweries and planning and new beverage companies do this as well. So if you're working through a rebrand, how can we either define or redefine or maybe even just confirm that we are speaking to the right people? We're targeting the right folks through this process in our work. Cody, how do, how can how can a brewery that's going through a rebrand do that? So when, when we're helping a brewery approach a rebrand, one of the things we like to at least start to, to get our bearings by doing is asking simple qualitative questions and in this instance, we find that on the ground sales folks, even frontline like taproom staff and folks who work at like retail liquor distributors, et cetera, are in- indispensable here because they're at the point of sale and they can kind of generalize like what types of folks are coming in, what type of opportunities are they seeing that maybe like people are asking for a certain thing that, that we don't have an offering for, or they're noticing an influx of a new certain type of customer Whatever it is, they're out there talking to customers on a daily basis, listening to what they like and don't like, and kind of gathering what they want to see from the brewery. So we like to talk to those folks to worry on ourselves. You can also kind of do this stuff self-driven, meaning as a brewery, you can create surveys over email or an in-person Q&A. You can do long-form questions and answers, whatever works for your brewery and kind of your culture and and the patience of your customers. We suggest that the stuff stays, stays anonymous, kind of make the the question's non-obligatory in case someone isn't comfortable answering a certain thing. And obviously you want to respect people's privacy. Yeah. But to give an example of some questions we might ask, why do you work at this brewery? You know, what makes you take this job versus any other one? What's the coolest thing about the brewery? Who do you think are our biggest customers? And these answers are always interesting to kind of compare between different folks that you talk to in an organization to see if they say kind of the same thing or if, if different things pop up. Is our beer tied to any specific activity or occasion? You know, we talked about folks with a more active lifestyle versus is this more of a like sit back and treat yourself kind of beer and all the different kinds of ways that beer can fit into people's lives. Are there any audiences that you're seeing out there that we're not currently reaching or anything that people are asking for that you guys don't currently have? Kind of seems like a gimme, but it is really good to ask folks who are on the front line because, again, they kind of have some unique insight into that. How are you guys different from competitors? I'm always really interested in frontline people's answers here too, because they tend to be the most grounded. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just hear like, we're honestly not, which is always kind of an interesting place to be, but you get kind of frank and helpful answers there. Just folks kind of generally like saying, hey, what positive or negative feedback have you heard about not just the beer, but packaging, customer service, you know, the overall brewery experience, the website, whatever it is that we're working on. Then we can move into context gathering kind of outside of the organization, meaning so other parties. (laughs) 
and heads up, you're sitting across from your ideal customers every day in your tap room, your existing patrons. So you can kind of hassle them, ask them for their opinion, you know, be polite. But I think also people get puffed up. Like when you reach out and say, hey, what do you think? I think people kind of strut their arms out and kind of sidle up and go, well, I'm going to tell you what I think now. So it can be a sign of respect and a chance for them to kind of sound off as experts. Ask a lot of the same kind of questions that we would ask an employee. You obviously would not say, why do you work here to a customer? You would say, why do you shop here? But you get the point. (laughs) Who do you think you are? (laughs) Yeah. Who the hell do you think you are coming here? Spending your hard-earned money on our ESBs. You can you can spit yeah going going broke. Why would you drink uh, an ESB here or anywhere? Yeah, what is your problem? You can print questionnaires out and leave them around. You can run a promotion. You can do this over social media. I you know you you can throw a thing out on Instagram with a link in the bio. Come check it out. Radar ESB from gross to nasty <laughs> to unnecessary <laughs> to yeah to 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 what this is in England in the eighteen hundreds. What are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, so let's <laughs> let's leave poor ESBs alone. We're we're trying to gather, and this is this is kind of tough, right? Because we've seen some POS systems, point of sale, so yeah, some POS systems can gather some of this stuff. A lot of it is we we've had in the early days, beer tenders or taproom managers just kind of like literally tick boxes. Like when people walk through the door, it's like okay, this this. This is two guys. This is a lady. This is an older person. That that can get real weird and touchy real quick. But we're we're just trying to gather basic basic demographic stuff at this point, right? So get a lay of the land of like age, gender, occupation, salary. That's why you mentioned surveys earlier. We've historically not been big fans of those, but when we're working with a big brewery, if someone's willing to answer that stuff on social media, I I think there is some value there. You then have to weigh that against this is someone that's, you know, answering a survey, right? Like that's, that's the typical conundrum with those things. Like, does this person actually represent our audience or not? But yeah, what, what other stuff? I just said age, gender, kind of salary, maybe if people are willing to share that occupation, favorite beer styles might be one. What are some other questions we might ask on a survey or of our customers? I mean, I I would want to know what other stuff you drink, what other breweries do you go to frequently? What is your favorite thing about this brewery in particular? Yeah. Least favorite, things like that. You know, usually superlatives jump to people's minds pretty quickly. And then you can kind of get into more general lifestyle stuff. You know, what are your, some of your hobbies? What do you do with your free time? What is your astrological sign? And again, you can capture some of this stuff with a POS system, but we like the fuzzier, kind of messier answers and kind of the stranger, more complicated questions. A lot of times those are more revealing. All, obviously, demographic data has its place, but... We like the stuff that's more qualitative generally tends to be a little bit more informative. Let's say that we've gone through this process. We have all this data now and, and we're trying to, as a brand strategy tool, we're trying to figure out what to do with this so that it can guide our decision-making through the process. What, what do we do with this? Uh, customer personas, I, I imagine would be the, that's where we typically like to go. So can you give me a rundown on that? Yeah, I've heard this called like an audience dossier or like a customer persona. Basically, this is a profile of a, again, we talked about psychographics earlier. So this is a profile of a type of person and and their lifestyle and just kind of like a general cheat sheet to refer to members of your audience up front. These can be kind of cheesy, but I I do think they're also used. They're very useful tools. They can also be kind of reductive. It, it, It depends on how you use them. The, the broader point here is that they help to humanize all this data and help you kind of plug in some color where sometimes there's just kind of numbers and graphs. 
And, and it kind of gives your target customer a face, a name and a story, which helps you make more informed decisions when you're trying to decide what should the taproom have? What should I be selling? How should I be speaking on social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is the real value of this. It's, it's, it's putting a, even if it's kind of a composite, it's putting a face to your audience. It's very valuable. Right. So think of this as a group of personality traits, values, stories that comprise your members of your ideal customer audience, whatever that is. You can base these off of real customers if you want to. You can build a composite of several different people, you know, folks who have been coming for a long time, hypothetical folks that you would like to see come more often. You can even pick out like a cheesy stock photo of these folks. You can pull a real photo if you want to be really creepy. I don't recommend <laughs> doing that because when people find out, they get kind of upset. <laughs> it's all the hearts and stuff you draw in the picture. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird when you like black out one of their teeth and give them a pirate mustache. Um, you want to have that with kind of paired together with all this information and context that it's just another tool to help you make marketing decisions. You might slide something like this into a marketing pitch deck, for example. So Isaac, to kind of switch the script and give my voice box a break, We've got an example persona here for a target market for a past brew pub project. Maybe you can run us through that as an example. Yeah. So like you mentioned in the brand strategy deck, I mean, PDF, whatever you want to call it, we would have all of our other, you know, positioning goals, messaging goals, that sort of thing, core values, aspirational values, et cetera. And when you get to the audience page, we might have a picture or two. And so for this brew pub, it was Jack and Jody we gave him names and just a little blurb about them. So <clears throat> I'm actually reading now. Our ideal customers are parents, Jack and Jody. They're both college grads. They have two kids under seven years old. Between long work hours and the kids' various after-school activities, which include jujitsu, gymnastics, scouts, and swimming, they're starved for time. But a few nights a week, it's nice to stop in and feed the kids and have a beer with dinner before heading home for the evening. They value healthy-ish food, great beer, and a family-friendly atmosphere, so no loud TVs or that asshole we mentioned earlier who walks around looking to fight people. And so then we have their photo, we have that blurb, and we, we get into a couple different uh, categories of, you know, what are their favorite hobbies? What are their favorite brands or favorite beer? What do they like drinking and eating here? What are their person? What are their personal values as, as a family, as, as, as individuals and maybe what brands they like. I, I, we've had interesting conversations over that in the past. Like how valuable is that? I think it is valuable because it, it shows what sort of things they value and where they put their dollars. You know, if, if someone likes supporting a small local coffee shop versus Starbucks, that says very different things about them. So anything that we can do to get a sense of who they are and why they'd be a great fit for your brewery, that's what we're trying to capture here. And like we mentioned, for this specific project, this was actually, it was kind of a broad composite. We won't talk about who the brewery was, but it was it was generally an overview of who comes in. But this was also a very specific profile of they weren't named Jack and Jody, but of two long term customers that this brew pub did have. So this is a great process. Uh, if you're a brewery out there struggling to understand your audience or, or maybe you're going through a rebrand, like we mentioned, or you're considering some sort of extension and you're wondering how this will all play into your larger brewery brand. Give this a try. Cody, do you have anything else to add here? Only that you can and should repeat this process as you grow and change. I don't know if like you need to do something like this every single year, but doing this regularly, doing this and comparing it to, to kind of how you thought about your audience three or four years ago might be kind of interesting. But my point is you can and should repeat this process periodically, you know, however often that is for you, just to make sure that you're staying on top of an ever evolving customer base, an ever evolving industry. 
making sure that if there's opportunities to offer something new to accommodate people or to bring in new customers that you're able to do that. Kind of the thesis of this whole talk, the real value here is putting a face to the group of people. So instead of thinking in terms of your capital B brand architecture or your PNL to make different branding decisions, you can consider back to kind of the example that you just gave, whether Jack and Jody would appreciate a trivia night at the brewery. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. Would they be interested in joining like a, a mug club or, or a sort of loyalty program? Would they be interested in live music or not? So these personas kind of give you a way to humanize what can otherwise be pretty sterile business decisions and personally helps me make decisions a little bit more intuitively instead of just trying to like logic my way through everything. So that's kind of the power of this and why this is useful. If you're interested, you out there, dear listener, are interested in this and defining your brewery's audience, head over and read more about it at craftbeerrebranded.com. We wrote a chapter or two about that, and we also included templates for creating your personas in the Craft Beer Rebranded workbook. So craftbeerrebranded.com. Cody, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Isaac. Thanks for listening to Beer Branding Trends. If you like what we're doing here, if you find this valuable, please rate and review us over on iTunes and head over to beerbrandingtrends.com to join more than 5,000 subscribers who receive our monthly email newsletter covering strategy, currents, and actionable advice from Kodo Design, a branding firm on the front lines of beer and beverage branding. Take care. We'll catch back up with you soon.